If you have your Bibles or you can take your tablet or smartphone, we're continuing in 1 Corinthians 15 as we go back to our Why the Resurrection Sermon series. So, um, and just keep your Bibles open uh, as we'll walk through this together. I, I want to say first a, a special word of thanks to Ben uh, for last week. I can't get Hey Jude out of my head, uh, but that was a wonderful sermon. I also want to thank, there's at least three families in this room this morning uh, who came by my house last night after Penn State lost the wrestling championships, and I appreciate, no, none of you came by. None of you were there for me in my time of need. So what about this church? What, what is Paul saying to them just two and a half decades after the resurrection? He has made several arguments. Our last time together, we talked about the hope and the assurance that we can have of eternity, that that should impact how we live today, that we have that hope always before us. But today, what about today? How is the resurrection to impact our lives today? And so Paul is making that argument for this church, and he's making an argument to a church, sadly, who had lost two things. First, they had lost, really they had lost their purpose. Uh, They had played around with every ism in the book. And the great Bible scholar Ferris Bueller said that isms are a bad thing. They had played with materialism, intellectualism, hedonism, uh, individualism, even early forms of nihilism. They, They had played with all that and they had lost, sadly, any sense of purpose. And you just see it in their lives. What's happening in their lives over uh, how to do spiritual gifts or, or the gift of sexuality or this or that. They had really lost all purposes in their lives. And Paul's saying, listen, and I'm not going to get into the, the baptism with the dead thing. There's like 30, I'm not kidding, 30 to 40 theories about that. You can look that up. Uh, but what he's saying is, listen, if there is no resurrection from the dead, you're right. Just eat, drink, and do whatever. There's no judgment, there's no purpose, there's no nothing. He's actually quoting a comic playwright in Isaiah to say that. But if the resurrection is real, you can't play with these things. You can't lose this. They've even lost the the purpose of communion. And y'all, it's a word to us as a church, as we look at their church, and and this is a, a harder sermon today, but it's Lent. And Lent is always a time for self-reflection. It's a time, really, of a gut check. Lord, where, where am I missing you? That church had missed the Lord's purposes in so many things. So it's right for us to say as Christians, hey, remind me again, Lord, what's the purpose of work? What's the purpose of parenting or grandparenting? What's the purposes of church? What's the purposes of sexuality? What's the purpose of recreation? This church had, had lost those things. What a gift you will give to friends and to this culture when you have a clear purpose for doing what God's called you to do. But not only had they lost a sense of purpose for so many things, they had really lost their influence on culture. In a very real sense, Francis Schaeffer and other people have reminded the church, we are to be counterculture, that we are to influence culture with the gospel. And they had lost it. And what a potential. This town... This town with all the commerce that it had, with all the different people and ideas flowing into it, if only they had been true, what could have gone out? But instead, what they allowed was that which was outside to get into them. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they had lost 
their influence. They had taken bits and pieces and mixed things up and were not an influence to culture. I had a, somebody leave a voicemail on one of my past churches on our, on our answer machine. And it started with him reading Matthew 25, 44 through 46. And if you remember that uh, uh, teaching by Jesus, it ends up with the sheeps and the goats. And the sheeps go over here and the goats go over here and to their eternal punishment. And then after that, he said, here's what he, I want to get this right, exactly what he said. Here's what he said. You are either a sheep or a goat. And I've seen a lot of goats in this town. And then he ended with this. Have a blessed day. So, uh, now first off, he did the one thing. I mean, one a couple of things. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But he, did, he tried to take the, the place of Jesus Christ, the judge. I'll determine who are sheeps and goats. And there's a lot of goats in this town. Shame on him for that. But secondly, it broke my heart as a pastor in that town. That when he looked out on the town, he didn't see enough people who looked like, like sheep that apparently the waters had been muddied to the point where he couldn't even say where are the sheeps and where are the goats. Now, maybe this man was hypercritical. Maybe, maybe that's true. It sure sounds like it. But if you were in Corinth at this time, with the wildness to their sexuality, with the infighting that was going on, uh, with the playing with different philosophies, they looked just like the world, and they had lost, they'd lost their influence. I was talking with my father-in-law, so you can blame him for this very preachy point. But we were talking about Revelation chapter 3 recently. And if you remember that passage, we remember John 3.16, but we also remember Revelation 3.16 that says, Be either hot or cold, because if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And he was kind of giving some background, and I'd heard this before, and you've heard it in Sunday school and small groups. But the background being in that area, in Laodicea, there were, there were hot baths that were, were very helpful for people for healing. And then also coming off the mountain, there were cool waters that would run there, and it was very good for drinking. But, but he talked about how those either waters would mix or in certain seasons, the water would become Lukewarm. It would smell bad, and it was lukewarm. And here's the preacher point from my father-in-law. Don't call me. Those waters were good for nothing. When our lives are cloudy, when our lives are lukewarm, when we're pulling things from the world and saying, I'll take a good bit of that. I'll take a lot of what Jesus said, but I'm going to pull these other things. And we're not clear with how we think, with how we live, with how we, how we do family, with how we do church. With how, if we're not clear, it really is a preachy point from Revelation 3.16. You just, you're not good for anything. If you're muddled, if you're muddy, if, you're, if, you're, if you've confused things, this church in Corinth had lost its Influence. What a great word for us. If we'll follow what Paul's about to say about what can be true because of resurrection, when you and I do that, oh, the influence that you and I can have for the kingdom. In a world where everything's politically charged, coming out of a pandemic, we live in a world where people are grabbing for all they can get. And for you and I to live as Christ in this world, oh, what a gift. What a gift that can be. What an influence that can be. This church had missed that. Corinth had missed that. So he gives them two things very quickly. He gives them two things then 
about how they can have that resurrection power. First, verse 33. Don't be deceived in your thinking. Because of what Christ has won for you, not just on his cross, but because the resurrection is true, don't be deceived in your thinking in allowing others to influence you. Or as NIV says, come back to your senses. And I like how the message says it. Don't fool yourselves. Don't let yourselves be poisoned by this anti-resurrection loose talk. Bad company ruins good manners. Think straight. Awaken to holiness of life. No more playing fast and loose with resurrection facts. Ignorance of God is a luxury you cannot afford in times like these. It's a reminder to us, there's, whether it's internet and social media or entertainment or just the people we run with, to be very careful. To be very careful to guard our minds, to guard our hearts, because if we don't, it will change our lives. Bad company makes for bad morals. Do you know who Jesus hung out with? In every instance, do you know who Jesus hung out with? He's the only person who never sinned, so he always hung out with sinners, right? All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So don't miss me here when I say don't, don't, don't reach for those who, who don't know Jesus. That, that is what Jesus did. He came to seek. We better be, uh, that better be our lives. Not to be of the world, but to be in it and reaching people for Christ. We can't circle the wagons and never get touched by the world. Our hearts should break for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there are other scriptures that say, hey, listen, when you go to re redeem somebody who's in sin, be careful lest you fall into temptation. And it's a good word, a good reminder from Paul to this church, the Corinthian church, but also uh, to us. Be careful Bad company makes for bad morals. Same thing he even says back in chapter 5. Don't have company with those who are sexually immoral. 2 Thessalonians 3.14 in another letter he says, Don't keep company with those who do not keep the word of God. He's worried about that influence again. And you already see it in this church's life. They've lost their influence because they've bitten on all this stuff. You and I know the power of others in our lives. And how sadly, sometimes, and I just saw it in student ministry for the 13 years I did student ministry, but I've seen it with adults too, how often we try to influence, but the lowest common denominator sadly too often wins. Um, there was a student in one of my first youth groups, just one of the sweetest kids you would ever meet. And this is an extreme example, but I think about this often. Sweet kid used to bring his little brother and sister up to the gym just during the day, just being sweet to them. Take, bring them up to the gym at the, at the church and say, hey, I want to go play badminton with them or I want to go play in the gym. Yeah, go have it. Go have at it. We had great conversations. The last time I talked to him was a Friday afternoon. He called me at the office and said, Barry, and this is a kid about to be a sophomore in high school. He said, Barry, uh, I want to get confirmed. I wasn't really raised in the church. And so I didn't go through confirmation in sixth grade. I wasn't here for that. I want to profess my faith publicly. I see these other students doing it. Could I do that? I was like, come on, man. Yeah, we'll get that set up. We'll, you know, let's, let's, let's meet and we'll talk. And then we'll set a Sunday and we'll, we'll do that, man. I can't wait for that. On Sunday night, he let somebody talk him into skipping youth group. And uh, playing around, they ran a red light, I'm told, on purpose. 
uh, ran a red light just chanting it and having fun, and I lost him that night. We lost him that night. It's an extreme example of a, of a, of a kid who was pursuing Jesus, I think loved Jesus, just wanted to make a public statement about that. But just when we put people in our lives, and again, it's an extreme example, we put people in our lives, we want to reach people, but if you play with that, I'm telling you, internet, entertainment, recreation, things that we do, be careful with that, church. Because when he gets into the next verse, it can lead to sin. It can even lead to sin. It can not only just where we lose our influence, but you see it in verse 34, do not sin. It's Paul's last mandate because of this resurrection power. Listen, we shouldn't sin just because of this season. We look at the cross and we, we, we take this meal and we're reminded of the cost of sin and what it cost. That the second person of the Holy Trinity was enfleshed for us. He could take the weight of our suffering and sin onto himself and into himself and redeem that for us. But it's also Paul's argument here in the middle of resurrection because of what he's done, not just for your forgiveness, but it's what he's doing right here. What he can do in your life. You don't have to, you don't have to sin anymore. Jesus didn't just die for someday, but you hear Paul talk about it. You hear the scriptures talk about it. He died to, to break the power of sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and God can do a work in your heart. It's a great reminder when you listen to what Jesus says about sin, when you listen to what John Wesley says about sin, it's not just some moral code. Our faith is not just jump through these hoops to be a good believer. God didn't just come for that. We ought to do that. We ought to be, as we heard, holy because of what we heard that God is holy uh, this morning. But he can do something here. And I love that understanding of this meal. This meal, as we've rightly prayed and confessed sin today, Lord, would you cover my sin with Jesus' blood again? Would you gift us that grace? I love how the Eastern Church, and John Wesley sure read a lot from the Eastern Church. I love what they say about this meal. It's a great reminder to us, it's not just forgiving. It's not just grace in that sense. But they talk about it as medicine. They talk about it as food, that God will do something in here. You need God to do something in here. Because this church, even though you see a lot of stuff going on on the outside, so much of it's right here. In their thought life or in their heart life. Their lust, their envy, their jealousy, their pride. Their, you just, so much of it's here and some of that you can't even see. God can do a work here. You need a healing here. You need a life transformation here. I pray he'll meet you as we come this morning uh, to this table to receive from him, to, to be reassured again of the great love of God and grace of God for sin, but also that he's a God who's not done with us. We don't wait till someday that'll meet us today. And so we come to this table uh, remembering that Christ our Lord has invited those uh, who, who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another to this table. On the night in which Christ was betrayed and then gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this cup, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray.
Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, our honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.